The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Is All-Star Weekend going to be an ode to Kobe Bryant, you think? All-Star Weekend is the one time really when all the constituent groups, members of the family, have an opportunity to come together. I think you're going to see a lot of people who haven't had the chance to really sort of embrace, talk through issues around the loss of David and Kobe. Game Time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Presented by GEICO. When he was 30, today's guest was moving up the ranks at a major Manhattan law firm. However, after watching Magic Johnson's inspiring performance in the 1992 NBA All-Star Game, he gave up litigation for a sport he loved and became working for a longtime friend and mentor, NBA Commissioner David Stern. 22 years later, Stern retired, and in 2014, he succeeded him. It is my pleasure to welcome the NBA's fifth commissioner, Adam Silver. Adam, welcome to Game Time. Thank you, Boomer. It's great to see you. Great to be here. So you and I are kind of like the same age. Uh, I'm, you're a year younger than me. Uh, we grew up as Knicks fans, and we saw we those great Nick teams in the 60s and 70s, and I'm assuming you and I were probably at the Garden together and didn't even realize it. Yeah, I don't know where your seats were. Mine were pretty high up. Mine were high, too. Mine, too, yes. too, but uh, you were on Long Island, Long Island. I was in Westchester, and uh, you know, my dad lived in New York City. My parents got divorced when I was young, but that was an activity we did together, which was going to Knicks games, occasional Ranger games, too, but we were both 
big basketball fans, and, and I remember those days. Those were great teams, great spirit in that building. Um, they re they really captivated the community, and I, I know just we're yeah, the they, same they, generation. Love, yeah, yeah, we we love Red Holzman. We love the way that they played family basketball. Is what I, how I would. Uh, describe it and Walt Frazier was amazing he was an amazing basketball player he's an amazing broadcaster now isn't it amazing when you look at that team how many of those guys are still playing an active role yes. in the league today so you uh, you leave high school and you end up going to Duke of all places <laughs> as a Maryland Terrapin uh, you know and the great basketball at Duke under Coach K and of course we had Lefty Drizell at the University of Maryland I miss those games do you miss those games I miss those games a lot and uh, you know we've never talked about this we know each other a bit but I remember when I went down to Duke you were the big recruit mm -hmm. and you remember Ben Bennett of what, course I remember know, Ben Bennett the quarterback Duke, yes right you obviously went on to have an incredible uh, college and NFL career but I remember there was that moment in time I mean Duke has gotten good at football mo more recently but mm -hmm. there was a sort of a big fallow period of Duke football, but that at that moment, Steve Spurrier Steve was there. Steve was the coach, And yes. like, there was this big recruit, a lot of good players coming in, but uh, you know, we couldn't really compete in the ACC. Yeah, but you had Coach K, and you have a great relationship with Coach K now, don't you? I do, it's interesting. Uh, one thing we have in common, we both got to Duke the same year, 1980. And uh, when I was a student, I never met Coach K, and you may recall that sort of some of his early years at Duke, and they didn't make the tournament, and he almost lost his job, and it just shows, uh, you know, that they stuck with him. The athletic director at the time believed in him. Yeah. The, the president of the of the university believed in him. Obviously, he went on to have the most storied success of, of and now I guess has all time records for wins in college. But he's created an incredible program, and he's somebody I've become close to over the years. Adam Silver had a number of jobs working for David Stern, including eight years as the NBA's deputy commissioner and chief operating officer. He was David's liaison, says one former NBA executive, but they didn't think identically. They thought collaboratively. So you guys obviously were very close, and this has been a very tough year, I know, for you personally because we lost David Stern. Um, you know, first, how did you meet David Stern initially? So my father had worked at the same law firm that David had worked at, Proskauer, um, and well, I had never met David Stern. When I was working at that law firm you had mentioned earlier, Cravath, Swain & Moore, I decided I wanted to make a transition, really at the time, into business. I wasn't thinking so much about working at, in sports or, or in particular at the NBA. I mean, I don't think this is early 90s. There was no internet. I even understood what it would mean to work at a sports league. So I remember at one point, I was just thinking about all the people that I might be able to reach out to for advice who had made the transition from law into other fields. And David Stern was somebody I wrote a letter, and the letter went something like, you know, I'm, my father is Edward Silver, who he used to work with. If he would ever be willing to talk to me, I could use some advice about a wow. transition. A month or so later, he called me and said, ah, oh, you know, I got your letter. Call my assistant and come see me one day. I went to see him a few weeks later, and he gave me advice, not about working at the NBA, just about making a transition into business. And at the time, I wanted to work in media because I was working on some cases at the law firm that was sort of centered on um, cable television and, and programming. And so he suggested a few different people that I call, and I said, thank you very much. I left, and I went, essentially went back to work. Mm -hmm. And in those days, I was, so again, this is 1991, early 1992, I was in the middle of a big, huge case at my law firm, pretty much working around the clock, and I never really just had time to follow up on his suggestions. Um, he then called me a few months later. There was one guy in particular that suggested I call, 
he called me, I remember, I thought it was a friend of mine joking around saying mm -hmm. David Stern's on the phone. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, no, no, it's David Stern. I'm like, oh, excuse me, Mr. Stern. <laughs> and he said, you never called the guy that I suggested you call. And I, I'm, I can feel it right now. I turned red, you know, just sitting there as, as I was talking on the phone. And he said, well, why didn't you call that guy? And I said, well, you know, I got caught up in this, and I'm, you know, thank you for the advice. I'm so not he sure, was sure, kind of checking up he on was you. Well, so he had an mm -hmm. idea, though. He then said to me, there's something I want to talk to you about. Call my assistant, come back to see me again. I went back to see him, you know, a week or two later, and he said, here's the idea. Do you want to come work as my assistant? So over the course of a few months, I ultimately then went to work. I think summer of 92, and my title was special assistant to the commissioner, and that was my first job at the wow. NBA. So when did you realize that he started grooming you to become the deputy commissioner? Oh, boy. <clears throat> I, I don't think till many years later. I, and I'd say, you know, so... I didn't. I became commissioner, 22 years after right. starting to work for David. So certainly, it wouldn't have occurred to me in the first 10 years. I mean, I I then, after I was special ass assistant, at some point he made me chief of staff. I always thought David wanted a chief of staff. He wanted somebody called a chief of right. staff. But then there's a division that's still there of the NBA called NBA Entertainment, which is the production unit. That was something I was particularly interested in. So at some point, even though I always worked directly for David, I then went over and ran NBA Entertainment. They have a production studio in Secaucus, New Jersey, right. still do. Sort of became much more involved in distribution of television. Back then there were home videos. We produced a show called Inside Stuff with Ahmad yep. Rashad and Willow Bay. There were a bunch of things that, that we were doing. And so I was, I was on a different track at that point. It was less a, more of a, a business track, I'd say, than league administration. But would you say, though, from his seat, he's watching you do your thing, and he sees how committed you are to being a success which ultimately gives him the idea that maybe, just maybe, this is the guy that could take over my seat someday. I, it it mm. must have been the case. But again, I, I, I was very fortunate along the way. I worked hard, but um, I, at some point, I began developing relations with the individual team owners who ultimately make that decision. And I was also fortunate that at the time that David was leaving in 2014, the league was in good shape. I think that if for some reason along the way the league wasn't in good shape, I'm sure regardless of the work I had done, they probably would have looked outside for somebody else. After his first year as NBA commissioner, Adam Silver was selected Sports Illustrated's Executive of the Year. Now, one reason was several words he said about Los Angeles Clippers owner Donald Sterling that earned him raves from players, politicians, activists, and fans. Effective immediately, I'm banning Mr. Sterling for life. Man, that was three months into your commissionership, and I'm just wondering what it's like for you when you see the video, when you hear what's happening, uh, what it was like to make that decision, essentially firing one of your bosses. It was a very isolating moment in many ways, even though I had been at the league for roughly 22 years at that point. I also, when I look back on it, sometimes I think I benefit from the fact that I was so new. There was less ambiguity to me in that I'd only been commissioner for two or three months at the time and that it seemed relatively black and white to me. I think that the longer you're in any job, the more you see the shades of gray and the complexity in the world. And I don't mean there that in terms of his conduct, but in terms of the ramifications, the potential for lawsuits, what it would mean for the league to get tied up in litigation for a long time. I remember it was a Friday night late at night East Coast time when that tape was released on the yes. internet. I woke up early Saturday morning, heard it for the first time, had a million messages. That press conference you referenced where he was banned for life was only Tuesday. 
So yeah, that whole you, thing. At least you had three days, though. You yeah. didn't have to react on a Monday. You had the weekend. No, you're right. But right. think about process these days. What happens in three or four days? Right. It's Social all, media is all over. All, it. All, yeah. all, I mean, yes, there's enormous attention on things. But to by Tuesday, I felt comfortable that we had sufficiently investigated the veracity, um, the, the, the authenticity of that tape. Yes, indeed, that was Donald Sterling's voice. We had interviewed him, we had interviewed the woman. You know, I felt we had a sufficient basis to do what I, what I felt was necessary. As big as I understood it was, I don't think at, in that moment I understood it had really never happened before in professional sports. It's That's what I say, it was a watershed moment. I yeah. mean, a commissioner stepped up now. They have suspended, obviously, baseball, George Steinbrenner, and there have been other owners that have gotten themselves in trouble, but never to this magnitude. And you know what it really showed? Ultimately, it showed that you were in control, that you knew what the league was, you knew what the league was all about, you knew how your players felt about this, no doubt. and that something had to be done immediately, and you did it. Not only did you do that, then you decided to make it even a little bit crazier. A little bit later on that year, you decided to say, um, I'll use your words, and this was something that you penned in the an op-ed in the New York Times, that we need to bring... Uh, gambling out of the darkness into the sunshine. And I'm thinking that Roger Goodell is falling off of his chair over there at 280 Park Avenue when they were there as the NFL commissioner. What kind of blowback did you receive from that? I thought, here I was, I now had this platform as commissioner of the NBA. So I penned this piece. We submitted it to the New York Times and said, would you be willing to run this? Indeed, they did. Of and course they were going to run it. Well, that. It was, yes. yeah, I mean, they liked the controversy around yes. it. Now, it's interesting. A few years later, the Supreme Court totally unrelated to what I had written. I, I came up with a policy reason for why sports betting, in my mind, should be legal in the United States. They then decided that a law that had been passed back in the early 90s, incidentally sponsored by then-Senator from New Jersey, Bill Bradley, in essence, making sports betting illegal throughout the United States, other than in the state of Nevada, right. with one or two other exceptions. They then decided, for reasons having nothing to do with sports betting, that that law was unconstitutional, okay. that that was a right that should be left to the states. So. When I wrote that opinion piece, my view was Congress should act and that we should have a federal change, repeal that law yeah. and come up with a federal system, maybe let the states decide whether they wanted to opt in. And then something I would have never predicted, the Supreme Court then decided that a law that was, you know, 20 plus years old was actually unconstitutional, which so then you move to where we are today, where every state is ha, begins is going through its own process of deciding whether it should be legal. For example, legal in New Jersey, right across the border, illegal in New, in New York. York. Right, exactly. And I still wonder when New York's going to try to finally catch up here. But I will say that it was another watershed moment for you as the commissioner of the NBA because it gave it legitimacy, which is what all the gamblers wanted in the first place. And you brought it to the forefront. I will. <laughs> I would just say, not just the gamblers. To me, I think, I don't know if you'd categorize sort of the person who bets a small amount wager on a game, you know, here and there as a gambler necessarily, but as someone who's engaged, likes to ha have some fun, likes to have a reason to care about the outcome or particular outcome of a game. <laughs> Since Adam Silver has been commissioner of the NBA, their revenues have skyrocketed worldwide. Now, however, the lucrative relationship between the league and China was threatened last October when China expressed outrage that Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey tweeted in support of the Hong Kong protesters. Silver said at that time, I do know there are consequences from freedom of speech. We'll have to live with those consequences. Have there been consequences? There have been consequences. And while we, we have two primary broadcasters in China, one is a streaming service called Tencent, 
um, and our games have remained on Tencent, but we're also on, in essence, the government television, CCTV. Our games have not returned to CCTV they since have not. that tweet. Okay, so do you expect that they will get, come back one of these days, or do you still think that there's going to be a real significant divi division? I, I, I expect they'll come back, and we've been having lots of conversations. We have a fairly large presence in China. We have about 200 people between Beijing and Shanghai. And so there's been ongoing discussions, and I think there's an acceptance that we're, in essence, two different cultures. But these two different cultures need to ultimately respect each other. And while I don't think it's our right to impose our values on China, we still need to stand by our values. And at the end of the day, the Chinese people still love NBA basketball. Over 600 million people watched NBA basketball last year in China. Did you have an initial conversation with Daryl Morey after this initial controversy started? I, I did. It, coincidentally, we were both in Tokyo at yeah. the time. The Houston Rockets were um, playing the Raptors as part of our preseason program. I was then heading over to China a few days later where the Lakers and Nets were playing. So again, just purely by coincidence, Daryl and I were in the same hotel, the same city. I spoke to him. I, you know, again, he certainly understood, you know, that what the ramifications were. The Houston Rockets are in a unique position in China. I mean, because of because Yao Ming, Yao Ming yes. it's almost as if they are China's team. But Daryl, as far as I know, I, again, by the, by the time I had talked to him, he'd already deleted his tweet. Yeah. So it wasn't, and, and I think it was just a question at that point, all right, it happened. Now, what are the, there was never an issue that, that certainly I was going to discipline Daryl Morey. Right, yeah, you, you can't. I yeah. mean, you know, it's a freedom of speech issue. But then, of course, LeBron James then tweets something towards Daryl Morey. Um, have those guys gotten together? Have they spoken? Because, you know, listen, the players have a lot of power in your league. And when LeBron James speaks, you know, it echoes all over the place. Well, look, certainly on political matters, he's entitled to his opinion mm -hmm. as well. And the owner, Joe Sy of the Brooklyn Nets, who, you know, is a major, um, has a high-level position in a, in a huge Chinese enterprise, Alibaba, he, you know, put, posted something on Facebook. I mean, to me, we're a platform in the NBA in that Daryl can have his view and LeBron can as well. I have no idea whether they've talked since then. I mean, certainly, probably, regardless of what's going on in China, a GM of one team shouldn't be talking to a star <laughs> player or another team anyway. So, right. But I, I, I have no idea whether they've talked. Adam, I really do appreciate you coming here. It's All-Star Weekend, and uh, you've gone through a number of different tough times here the last year, the loss of David Stern and, of course, the loss of uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and also the other folks that were on that helicopter. Is All-Star Weekend going to be an ode to Kobe Bryant, you think? It's, it's, it's a great question. I think we're looking to find the right balance. I mean, first of all, it's, I think, two major figures, David Stern and Kobe, have been lost just in the past month or so. And I think it's, it's important that we appropriately recognize both of them, but not lose the celebratory aspect of All-Star. And, you know, we always, David used to refer to the NBA as a family. I've certainly adopted that from him. And, you know, because we don't have a neutral site championship as the NFL does, that All-Star weekend is the one time really when all the constituent groups, members of the family, have an opportunity to come together. And I think you're going to see a lot of people who haven't, haven't had the chance to really sort of embrace, talk through issues around the loss of David and Kobe. So 
I, I'm hoping that doesn't overwhelm our weekend in terms of it being a long period of mourning, and I think both of them deserve to be celebrated at the same time. So we're going to be we're we're going to be doing things, you know. Certainly Sunday, it's, it, we're going to be doing a large tribute to David and Kobe. The All-Star uniforms, we changed the numbers so that half the team would wear 24, you know, for Kobe's second number, and the other number two, which actually came from the players. And I think that recognition of Gigi, many of the players knew his daughter. You know, one of the last conversations I had had with Kobe just a couple of months ago was how interested he was in the WNBA because he wanted it to thrive. So it was there when his daughter came of age. I had connected him with Kathy Engelbert, our commissioner of the WNBA. And it's one of those things like, really, you want to meet with her? She had just started. And I said, and I said, Kathy, heads up, you know, Kobe's going to call you. And she's like, really, he's interested? He, later that week, he had like a two or three hour meeting with her yeah. in her office just to talk about his interest in well, the yeah, WNBA. Well, yeah, the mama mentality no is basically question. what he had. And uh, Gigi brought him back into the NBA, as I understand it, which is great news for you guys. But, you know, you talked about it, the international flavor of the NBA and the loss of Kobe and, and what that did internationally to us here locally. Uh, I, I felt like the Super Bowl was even subsided in some regards because all those players were impacted when Kobe was playing. You're exactly right. And, and you and I are of the same age. And, and when I then talk to these stars these days, call like in the early to mid-30s, mm -hmm. Kobe was in essence their Michael. And, they, and, and athletes in all sports were inspired by his mamba mentality, whatever he wanted to call it, but it was this sort of burning desire to win. People universally respect him for that. And I know that's in large part why he was so popular in China. They love that competitive aspect of him. And you know how it is, like winning these championships and to win five championships is so difficult. And you have to bring sort of that mental toughness to every game. And to do it for 20 years on yeah. one team is quite remarkable. And your league has this thing about who's the best of all time. And there's always arguments around that. And I would just say this. Kobe was the epitome of greatness from his heart standpoint of wanting to be the best, but also had the God-given ability to become the best. And I think it's a great legacy that he left behind for the NBA. I hope you have a great NBA All-Star Weekend. Adam, I can't appreciate you enough to, for coming in and spending some time and talking about some of the NBA issues. Thanks, Boomer. Great to be here. All right, I'm Boomer Esiason. I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with a very special look back at the miracle on ice. No commercials in this show, guys. <clears throat> I could do this one for free. I could keep talking all day about this.